It's official. One Shining Podcast is back, and I am your host, Tate Frazier. And as March Madness begins, we're covering everything from Selection Sunday all the way to the championship and beyond. We're going to have great guests that are coming through on the show. And look, if you're a friend of the program and you're already subscribed, you don't have to do anything. OSP is back. It's going to be right back in your feed. And if you're not a friend of the program and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this. You need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show is back. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back to another episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. My name is Kevin O'Connor and joining, as always, is the Ringers, Jay Kyle, man. What's up, man? Not too much, Kevo. Uh, I saw you're like a celebrity. I saw you walking out there on stage with Verno in, in shades. Verno in shades on stage. Did he explain his choice there? It's just, I know Verno's ultra cool, but that was a choice. I respected yeah, he, it, but I, I was curious. He had the fur coat on and all that, and the yeah. white fur coat. He had the shades on. It was truly the mismatch on stage on on Monday night in Los Angeles at the L. Ray Theater. That was a heck of a lot of fun, dude. I mean, those live it shows. Like it. They're great. Like the one we did in Utah together. This one with the mismatch, we got Memphis coming up. Maybe we'll, you know, if possible to work it out, we'll try to get you down there to Memphis on the 21st. That'll be a heck of a lot of fun. And I don't know, maybe the ringer will be doing some more live shows coming up. Maybe the finals, maybe summer league, something like that. But I, oh, I summer like, league for sure. I like the live stuff. Oh, summer league's awesome. Going to do maybe a, yeah, maybe a one shining podcast live during Summer League talking about the NBA rookies because the One Shining podcast with Tate Frazier is back. He was there on Monday night as well as a guest with me and Chris Vernon. And you were on his show. You're on OSP this week, Kyle, with Tate Frazier. That was cool. Yeah, I'm going to be doing more of that here coming up as the, during the tournament. So uh, you and me and Tate are kind of in this little like constellation, I feel like, of pre-NBA coverage that I'm really excited about, excited to have. I'm going to be doing that on Tuesdays, I think. Tate and I are kind of aligned in our, we have like a, a parallel uh, experience growing up in the South, like rooting for Blue Blood programs. And it's, I, I've, I've had a lot of fun with that uh, and excited to be doing more of it. Well, Kyle, you talked an hour's worth of college basketball with Tate on One Shining Podcast this week. But to start off today's Ringer NBA Draft Show, we're going to be talking about the overtime elite Thompson Twins because their season is over. The Thompson Twins and the City Reapers won the championship with a three-game sweep over the YNG Dreamers. And they did it like in really movie-like fashion with a back and forth at the end of the game. City Reapers 
went up one. Then the Dreamers went up one. Timeout called. And then to end game three, to finish a sweep, Amen Thompson makes a cross-court pass to, Am- to Osar Thompson to win the game. After in game two, Amen Thompson hit the game-winning layup just floating in the air on his way to the basket. So in game two, we get Amen Thompson hitting a game-winning layup. In game three, we get Osar Thompson hitting a game-winning three. Kyle, they could have not have written the script any better than this, right? I mean, it played out in a nice, like, sequential way that was that was fun. And shout out to the OTE like broadcast product uh, for just being so high energy. I mean, I didn't I didn't feel like there was anything like bizarre that happened. It wasn't like a I can't believe this sequence of events, but it was like a nonstop like punch counter punch punch counter punch thing that was really fun. It kind of cool. reminds it like I always I always love these like broadcasts. Uh, for these like pre-college, pre-MBA products that are like uh, like SUV TV is one I always point out. It's like the Georgia High School YouTube network. They always they have like some of the most fun announcers on there. Anyway, but um, yeah, you're right. Like floating in the air, I thought it was fun how it kind of played out. Their like brotherly dynamic kind of played out in the way that that last play unfolded, and just like you described it, that like uh, in game three that Amin breaks down the defense and hits Asar. Uh, for the game winner. Um, yeah, it, it's they, they're just so there are things that we'll get into, I think, about like the particulars about like the, the environment that they're playing in that, that I want to parse more with you a little bit. Uh, but I'll, I'll let you go ahead and start uh, with what is it specifically that you're interested in talking about with the Thompsons today? Well, I mean, I think first off, with Asar hitting the game winning three, that dude was on an absolute heater during their playoff run. He shot 38.5% from three. In their five-game playoffs, you know, super small sample size, of course. Three of ten in game one, three of five in game two, four of nine in game three, shooting 80-plus percent from the free-throw line for the City Reapers. So I think, you know, we're talking small sample sizes here, but when you put it all together, what Amen and Asar did during the season and the playoffs together, Asar really shot well from three during the playoffs, but it's kind of wild how identical their stats are Amen, full season plus playoffs combined, 16.5 points per game on 55.2% from two, 30% from three, 70.2% from the line. Osar, 17.4 points per game, 54.5% from two, 33.3% from three, 70% from the line. Amen, seven rebounds, 6.8 assists, 3.5 stocks. Osar, 6.5 rebounds, 5.8 assists. 3.6 3.6 stocks, like really, really close, you know, basic box score numbers for those two guys over the course of the season. The big thing with them, you know, jump shot, we talked about that at the beginning of the year. How much development do we see over the course of the season for them? It's at least encouraging, I think, Kyle, that both of them reached the 70% threshold from the free throw line. It's nice that they both shot over 30% from three. It's great that we see Osar Thompson have hot stretches through the year from three. It's nice we see our men have that as well. Overall, though, I mean, they're still hovering around, you know, below average from the free throw line, below average from three. What's your initial assessment of their, you know, development as shooters over the course of the season when factoring in that clearly they've been working on mechanics and making changes to their form throughout the year as well? 
In terms of like the lines within their jump shot, in terms of like the mechanics, like is there, I'm, I'm kind of looking for the energy transfer. Are there any, any issues there? I think those are the things that are the most concerning whenever you watch a guy shoot the ball, because if their energy transfer is clean, you know, maybe it starts a little bit low. Maybe it comes across their face a little funny. We were talking about, I forget the exact player we were talking about last week, but they brought the ball across their face, sort of Kevin Durant kind of style. Um, But if, if there are weird movements like that within their shot, you get a little more concerned. But when I watch the Thompson twins, I... I see something that is not terribly, terribly concerning, like when you consider all the other things that they're going to bring to the floor. Like, I I feel like their touch could get there to an acceptable level. I I think you just kind of have to have a conversation with yourself about what you think, where you think they need to get to, A, not be a liability, and B, what do you think their, their ceiling is? And that's something that I don't know if you and I are on the same page about or I'd be curious to ask you about. I feel like they can get to that point where they're not a liability, mainly because of the things that they bring. We've talked about like the competitiveness and the defensive intensity. You talked about them creeping up near the 70s from the free throw line. It is funny to look at their stats and consider their usage and see that like, yeah, they basically just kind of tip. Amen just tilts a little bit towards the the uh, the playmaking side of it with like one assist more, one point fewer than his brother. Yep. Um, it's it's just a and you kind of have to really get in there. And I I mean this is a thing like I've, identical twins could probably hit us up and comment on this, but you have to really really be looking really closely to see the the differences. Not you know their athleticism. There is like a little bit of a clear difference I think and a gap between Amen with and Asar. Amen being like a bit more explosive, a bit more quick yeah. twitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But shooting wise, I guess they kind of project. I, you know, Amin kind of projects to me as a guy who's going to be like a defensive disruptor. Hopefully, he gets strong enough to be more of an on ball or maybe even like a perimeter assignment type player. Um, if he can do that and provide like connector offense on one end and just be a capable shooter, I'm trying to think of like Dyson Daniels as a guy. I, I've probably, we're probably retracing steps and conversations we've had in the past, but. I don't know. I, I don't see anything that's like that is like a huge, huge issue within his shooting development that I don't think is fixable. Do you see anything in there that's like that? That's a huge problem and that like potentially could like slide him down. Or how do you feel about shooting? I mean, I always worry about, you know, a, a guard or wing type that is a potential non shooter. I think that's always a concern. Um, I think with the way defenses handle those guys, they all of them get the quote unquote Tony Allen treatment or the Andre Robertson treatment these days. Like it's pretty important for you to become a reliable spot up shooter at the least. And like, you know, they're different types of players, but I just think about Bruce Brown all the time with what he was able to turn himself into. He was a guy who was sub 30% from three. He was a liability outside. And he's become a guy that shoots the ball well on a lower volume. He was 40% last year with Brooklyn. This year, he's 37% from Denver. Like, that's all he's got to be on a low volume, shoot the ball well, you know, for kickout passes from Jokic. And, like, you're going to be able to stay on the floor in endgame situations, and you're going to be able to handle the ball sometimes and bring it up and be a disruptor on defense, which he is. It Like, it's critical. And if he didn't do those things... Like you're out, you're off the floor. Like you're just not going to be finishing games or playing, you know, pivotal minutes. So I think with the Thompson twins, you know, like we've been through it, like they have playmaking, they can be disruptors on defense, they're versatile, they can get downhill, they're like unbelievable in transition. But like in half court situations, 
I do have some concerns there. But with that said, they are young and we have seen progress. They are better today at shooting the ball than they were a year ago. And I think that rate of progress is at least encouraging. And the the tough part with them, though, I think is so often when it comes to projecting forward the success of a three-point shooter in the NBA, executives, especially the analytics side of things, look at, you know, free throw percentage. They look at touch on layups and floaters. And, you know, we had just mentioned how they're both hovering around 70% from the free throw line. They've been in the 60s before. Uh, It's not like they've ever been 80-plus percent guys except for in short bursts, like Osar has been during the playoffs um, in the OTE. So then you look at at at-rim stuff. And, like, in transition, these guys are unbelievable. Amen is 90%, 63 of 70 on at-rim attempts. A lot of dunks in there, too. Um, Osar... 45 of 58 in transition, 78%. Again, a lot of dunks. But in the half court, where things are more congested, Amen, 58.6% at the rim, just 50% on layups. So not including dunks, just 50%. And then Asar, 47.6% at the rim, and just 35.3% on layups, not including dunks. So he's hitting only a third. Asar, this is only a third of layup attempts in the half court against a level of competition that doesn't have like seven foot two shot blockers and 270 pound guys in the paint and six foot 10 help defenders flying in to deter you from getting to the basket. He's hitting a third of his layups, non dunks in the half court like that. It needs to be a bit alarming, even though I believe, as you said, Kyle, a lot of it's due to shot selection too. With the types of shots you're hitting, I mean, we see our man in game two hit that floating layup where he's just seemingly in the air forever. There's encouraging signs, too, with the types of layups they hit. But I don't know, like, where, where are you at when it comes to their at-rim finishing skills and whether or not that has to do with the projection of their shooting? But overall, that is, that is going to be such an integral part of their success in the NBA is how they're able to finish at the basket. Yeah, it, it's sort of a chain reaction thing where, you know, the, the the finishing does matter a lot because it's going to be the thing that allow that it's going to be the alibi, I think, that allows you to say, OK, they're going to provide this and release some of the pressure on them to be, you know, shooters. Now, we know the paint touches thing. It's very Moranti, like the way that these guys get into the lane, except they're bigger, you know, like Amin has this ability and Asar too, to, uh, just to, like we said, just a slightly lesser extent. And and I want to talk with our buddy Eric from P3 because I've asked him a little bit about this, this phenomenon, this optical illusion of floating like you've talked about because they have it. And he was telling me kind of that it's more in the midsection and sort of the ability, the ability to sort of stretch yourself out so that you hang a little bit longer because it, it creates this interesting phenomenon of floating that Morant has. It's the same kind of thing. And sometimes I guess. And you absolutely pointed out something I think that is a legitimate sort of counter argument if you wanted to, you know, lean towards the side of like skepticism um, is the percentages. And the that's something, too, you mentioned like the size. But I think the other thing, too, that, that is really key, my eyebrows went up that I think maybe gets underrated by people sometimes is the bigger bodies. Like when you're going into the lane, you know, these high school kids, A, positionally are just not as savvy. Like you you learn a lot from like 18 to 23 about like where to be on the floor um, and, and like what, what tendencies are and things like that. Those things are going to factor in. So you have to think about that percentage. Sometimes I think I'm in 
specifically, I think, displays a little more craft finishing than Asar does. I think Asar is a little bit more of a physical driver than, than Amin at times. But I think that Amin can be a little cute with the, with the way, with his angles, with like, you know, slinking around people. Which like, helps to him, get his eyeglass. I think it's a positive thing that he has it. It's like a thing that he's exploring. Maybe there are more inefficient like corners of that part of his game that he can start to figure out and refine. But he also just has access to things that most players just don't. Like you'll see him get in and they both are really good at like going to the other side of the rim and going high, high glass with touch. I don't doubt that they're going to get into the paint. I think they need to get stronger. I think, like we said, I think if the more discerning they get about getting to the rim. Um, but it's just hilarious sometimes when you watch them, like the sample, you just have to kind of automatically weed. So you can't just look at that sample and be like, okay, they're finishing this percentage because some of those, Kev, some of those drives against closeouts are just a joke. Like Amin had one where he drove baseline and did like a two-handed windmill. I will add incredibly casual, casually. He did a two-handed windmill in, in, in a game but the resistance was just zero. Like there was no one guarding him at all. And that's the tough thing about OTE is like, not only do you not have those body types there, um, the effort. And sometimes I think like the, the, the opponents are just afraid of them. Do you ever see that when you're watching their games? It's like they just they act intimidated. Uh, and then you just add in all the chaos. It's just like the defense is a real issue, I think, for them, as opposed to if they were in like conference play right now in college. Yeah, if they were in conference play at the moment, or what if they were in the G League? I mean, how how different would our assessments be of them at at this moment? I don't think we'd be talking about, you know, game winning shots and and at the end of, you know, finals games, necessarily. Um, Granted, like season schedules, I just don't think they'd have their team in that position, you know, when those games were to happen. I mean, the level of competition makes it tough, Kyle. Like, it's just, like, for me, like, when I, like, I'm assembling my draft board right now at the moment, I have Amen fourth, I have Osar sixth. Yeah. I don't feel great about it, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I just, like, it's a low confidence level. Like, I have Jarris Walker ahead of Osar Thompson and Keontae George, Taylor Hendricks, Anthony Black, Nick Smith, Cam Wetmore behind Osar. Like, I, like, there's a part of me that feels like, how can I take, you know, Osar Thompson ahead of Cam Whitmore when my confidence level in Cam Whitmore is higher in terms of being a high-level productive NBA player for 10 years. Whereas with Osar, it's like, yeah, I mean, he could become awesome, but he could also, you know, this could be, you know, just one little hot shooting stretch and the at-room finishing never gets there and he becomes just kind of a guy in the league who's super bouncy but not somebody who contributes at a high level to winning basketball. I don't know. That's just such a, it really speaks to the difference in your draft philosophies. Are you drafting for potential and upside and willing to miss and be totally wrong? Or are you being a little bit more safe and still holding out hope that your guy, you know, turns into some star? That's kind of the difficulty I'm having right now with Ahmed and Osaris, in part because of the level of competition we're watching them against. So the young league and only its second year, and like it's just straight up, their competition is not good. It's just not good. It's really yeah. weak. It's it's better than AAU, but nowhere near the same ballpark as college, G League, you know, Australia. It's nothing. It's not compared to those leagues. It's really tough to compare. Yeah. It- 
it does kind of enter in. It's similar to the Lamelo thing a couple years ago, where we were watching things that we were more sure about against a sample that we were more confident about about schemes that were more. I don't know. It, it, sometimes when these guys noodle at lower levels, you can get caught up in in this idea that maybe they're going to continue to be that person whenever they transition over. And that's different from player to player. I'm encouraged by the fact. I would lean towards optimism about the by the the, the idea that that you know Amin and Asar both have access to these uh, these like a broader finishing package. Like I think, and they seem like willing learners. Um, really, I'm more concerned about the consistency of the shooting than I am the finishing. To be honest with you, because you know paint touches are extremely valuable in the NBA, and we've seen how slinky and angular and elastic they are at getting into the paint. I think once they get stronger, I'm not terribly worried about their frames. I am uh, leaning in the optimistic side. I mean, there is that pity your stomach thing, um, but I, I just I I love the access to creativity that they have, and I'm pretty encouraged by some of it. The, they can pull off things that just the the ordinary wing just cannot. You know, let's take a question from Twitter. We had a great question from Chris at Swagskitball tweet us over the weekend asking for a temperature check on UCF's Taylor Hendricks, a guy that we talked about in the couple of maybe first three, four episodes of this podcast, Kyle, um, this season for UCF, he is averaging 15.6 points per game on 41.3% from three, 79.6% from the line, 6.8 rebounds, 1.4 assists, 1.7 blocks, 0.9 steals. He's having a good year, Kyle. I think for him, you know, we talked about him as a sleeper type at the beginning of the season. I've had him in lottery, you know, maybe since sometime in December. I have him top 10 right now, and maybe that's a bit too high with where he'll end up going. You know, I see mock drafts have him late teens or 20s, um, but I have him as a top 10 pick because I think right now um, that the temperature check, like I'm, I'm higher on him than I was then because of the fact that we've seen him sustain success over the full season. He offers everything on defense. He's a great help defender. He's athletic. He provides size and switchability. We've seen him on many, many occasions this year switch onto the perimeter and lock down guards or at least do a good job of containing them. So I, when you consider you know, what's important in the NBA, it's versatility on defense, his ability to help at 6'9", to switch, high IQ player, and offensively, he's shooting the heck out of the ball, 39%. He finishes well at the rim. He can screen and roll. He played as a big in high school. He has all those types of qualities. So I think, you know, does he offer enough urban protection? The answer to the Chris's question, yes. Does he have the pick and roll finishing to be a true center? Maybe small ball lineups, um, not necessarily full time, but I'm, I'm super, super high on Hendricks. Where, where are you at on him? I differ a little bit. I think I'm probably leaning more towards late teens, middle of the first round. Um, because, I mean, we've seen him, the shooting, absolutely. I think that we've seen, and even in the last nine games, I think it's been even a little bit better, which I think is important because it's a time of the year where uh, you've been scouted pretty thoroughly. and You're coming out there, you know, and that conference maybe isn't like the tippy-top best basketball conference in the country, but they do know where you're coming from and who you are. You know, in his last nine, he's been almost 20 points per game. Uh, 47.1% from three on 5.7. And he's been uh, pretty disruptive on defense. For me to get to where you are, I think, I you would have to hypothetically lean pretty hard on the idea that he's going to be like a real defensive tool. Um, the hands and things are good. Um, but when I look at like a cluster of guys, you know, he is a versatile shooter, but 
you know, there's this cluster of guys, Brandon Miller, Hendricks, Jarris, Grady Dick, and, and Jed Howard, who are all these kind of like bigger, bigger forwards who are going to give you some offensive punch. I think he's by far the least on-ball upside. Like he has by far the, the, the furthest to go as an on-ball guy to me. When I watch him like operating out of pick and roll, which has been liter- limited this year, he looks a little he looks a little averse to contact. You talk about getting in the lane. He doesn't look terribly like comfortable changing directions. Like his lower body doesn't. It's a it's a major area of growth for him. Um, that's kind of where I'm in. And like shooting off the dribble, he's looked a little weird at times. I just think that he's got quite a ways to go compared to those other guys for me to pick him ahead of those guys. I think that's fair. Um, I think my my only thought on my mind is how much does that matter for him. Those skills. I, don't, uh, I, don't, I mean, like, how much do those actually matter in terms of fitting him into a winning basketball team, given, like, he doesn't do those things, but, you know, ideally he's paired with somebody else who does. Like, I mean, if you if we're, like, just, you know, mock drafting on the fly here for the late lottery or late teens, if you put him on Golden State with the 18th pick, I mean, he's going to have to cut. He can do that. You have to make a quick pass. Mm-hmm. He can do that. Does he have to handle much? No. I mean, that's Steph. That's Draymond. That's maybe Poole if they keep him. I'm not so sure about that. If For now. Yeah. If it's Atlanta, <laughs> you know, Trey Young, DeJounte Murray are doing all that. If it's the Lakers, you know, with the 14th pick at the moment, that's LeBron and Schroeder and, you know, all their guys that they have. I mean, he's, he's playing more of a Jared Vanderbilt type of role, right? So, except with better shooting. I don't know. I, I just yeah. like, that's kind of where I land with Hendricks. I just don't know how much that stuff matters. I think he has so many enhancing skills that can complement a star at such a high level. And I just feel like Hendricks is going to be one of those guys that's making winning basketball plays like in year twelve of his career. That, that that's where I, I feel with him, regardless of the creation aspect. I think there's only a couple teams and then, you know, our, our guy Nikias actually asked Steve Clifford a really good question about this, about like the homogenous nature of like the style of play in the NBA. And there's only really a couple teams that lean heavily on that off ball movement. And a lot of that's player driven. And, you know, like off ball, if you're going to lean heavily on like off screen shooting, um, that's personnel driven, you know, and we have, you know, Golden State in particular, I, I kind of, I made a little jab there about like for now, it's just because, you know, Clay and Steph aren't going to be around forever. Um, Miami, you know, kind of plays that way too. I just think I'm not, I'm not one million percent convinced that he's that level of off screen. You know, he's definitely a great catch and shoot player, and we've seen great, great catch and shoot players go to the next level. I underestimated Trey Murphy's ability, but I think you know, you talk about like how much it matters. I think it matters more by the minute in the NBA, just because I think that like off the catch. You got to be able to make do make something happen. You know, if you're if you're going to trade on your shooting ability, I'm a little more dubious of it. I think, which would pull me, you know, not out. I just I'm a little less confident in like ranking him over those other guys just for that reason. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with twenty five thousand miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, 
tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, so what we're going to do, Kyle, we're going to do a mock draft. We don't know the order. Our producer, Jesse Lopez, is going, heading over to Tankathon right now with their little little fun lottery machine that I go to almost every day. And he's going to simulate the <laughs> draft order based off the lottery standings as of this morning. And we're going to do a mock draft with the first seven, ten picks or so. Jesse, how are you doing today? Are you uh, ready to be the commissioner? I am ready. I didn't, I didn't shave my head today, so um, I have a full set of hair, but you know, it's okay. <laughs> But I am ready to present. He's got his mouse rat hat on. Everybody should know. And his mic sounds incredible. Just yes, looking, mouse really rat killing it on all levels today. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see who uh, who knows who mouse rat is off the top of their head. I don't listen to this. <laughs> Lots it's okay. Will. So, some Parks will. and Rec. Oh no, I never watched it. Parks and Rec is better than The Office. All right, simulating Ooh. lottery. False. No, that is true. All right, with the number one pick, <laughs> the ping pong ball went. To San Antonio. Oh, Spurs. San Antonio Spurs, Spurs. The number one pick. David Robinson to Tim Duncan to Victor Wembanyama. Number one <laughs> picks. All right. Who, who Good else for we Pop. Got? Good for Pop. Rattle them off for us, Jesse. So number two. Moving up. Kevin, you're going to love this one. The Chicago Bulls. Oh, yeah. Let's Holy go. Shit. Okay. All right. Holy shit. All right. Who's three? Number three. The Orlando Magic. Okay. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Number four, the Utah Jazz. Oh, wow. Number wow. five, the Detroit Pistons. Wow, Detroit and Houston get screwed. Number oh, six, ouch. Houston Rockets. Oh, wow. Yep. Number seven, Charlotte Hornets. Eight, Indiana Pacers. Unreal. Number nine, Kevin's Pelicans. And number 10, the Washington <laughs> wow. Wizards. All right, Kyle. Man. Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate no problem, that. Guys. Let's whoa. All right. If this actually happened on on lottery night, um, Spurs, I mean, we'll alternate picks here. Spurs take Victor Wembanyama. That that goes without saying. I they, think that's I think Wembenyama. that's pretty safe. Yeah. yeah. That, that's safe to say. Um I'm confident in that happening. But yeah. Chicago, Which, you know, too. another another yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, well, just the the international sort of pedigree and the the loyalty that they've had over the years. It would just be an interesting symmetry if they if they ended up with Vic. But yes, Chicago at two, and this is a brutal beat. Just kind of proof that like 
the 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 this can be a cruel calculus, you know. Uh, hopefully, uh, well, not hopefully. It's just I'm excited to see it. You know, you never know. You never know, Kevin. Mm-hmm. You never know at all. So for the Bulls, <laughs> you want you want a second pick or third pick, Kyle? We'll alternate back and forth. Who do you want, Bulls or Magic? Uh, I'll go with the Magic. Okay, all right. So for the Bulls, number two, moving up uh, currently as of today, five spots. Good for them. You know, sucking this year, able to keep their top four pick, which would mean they would defer next year's pick to the Magic for what it's worth. Yeah. Um, but yeah. this year, at number two, I got to think if you're Chicago, you'd go with Scoot Henderson there. You know, he would r- remind Bulls fans of Derrick Rose with his explosiveness, that down, relentless downhill attacking ability, different types of players in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. But going with Scoot Henderson there, he feels like somebody who could add a lot of energy to that franchise and give them a direction. Yes, I could definitely see that happening. For the third pick, not to move on too quickly there, but uh, for the third pick, I, I think this would be an interesting situation. You know, I was talking with our buddy Sarudi about the Magic, like what they're going to do with their pick this year, what their plan is. Uh, it almost feels like some Orlando fans feel this way, where they feel like they're kind of at max capacity for young player development. Like that, uh, it makes me wonder if it did play out this way. Agree or disagree with me on this, Kev? That like. I kind of wonder if if the Magic might use dangle this pick to somebody else to get a player because if you look at like the value kind of like hierarchy among this class there's not like an exact fit for their exact needs you know like I feel like even Scoot might not even have been like a great pick for them there I kind of feel like they need like a fluid off-ball move mover I kind of wonder if they would even use the pick at 3 what do you think I think they'd take Brandon Miller assuming nothing's you know Super alarming with, the, with everything we've been discussing with him in recent weeks. They're 27th yeah. in three point shooting this year. Granted, they don't necessarily need more size and versatility. They have that in surplus. Jonathan Isaac has not proven he can stay healthy. He gets hurt in 10 games. It's a shame. I mean, to me, Brandon Miller is an absolute no brainer pick at, at three, assuming, as we say, you know, all of that checks out. Uh, but I think he's a perfect fit with what they got. Yeah, I wonder, we don't need to go too far into this. I just kind of wonder, like, the the Miller-Franz-Pilo thing is interesting because I'm like, yeah, it really helps for them to have, like, the off-ball movers and, like, the ball, the on-ball pressure that they could get with, like, Markell and, like, Gary Harris. I just kind of wonder about taking another three in that situation. But I do think that, yeah, I mean, Miller is so talented. Um, he's the guy. I actually have Miller second on my board overall right now. That's who. That's why I, I would just take the best talent and figure it out. I would. I would just kind of move the pieces around it and take Brandon Miller. Oh, so you move Miller up to two officially? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm there. Over Scoot. Yeah. We can. We can have a longer conversation about. That. Do you have Scoot at three or four? Uh, three right now. Okay, I'm in at four. Yes. Are you trying okay. to? Are you trying to like get the intel on my draft order just, here? Just Kat? curious. I'm not going to just give that away. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, it's not really. I mean, it's March eighth. It's going to change by it's June. Dead serious. It's so serious. <laughs> That's true. We are drafting now. Today, this is serious business. Yeah, so I'm trying to cut pick, your throat. <laughs> with the fourth pick for the Jazz, I'm going with Ahmed Thompson. Going okay. with the upside play here for them. They have, I think, the, one of the interesting things that Lowry Markkinen can provide for them is the spacing in the front court. Um, so maybe that uh, diminishes the need for Amen to be an immediate factor as a shooter. And they can rely on his playmaking. I mean, they have some guys in the backcourt, Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson. I'm not so sure how long of a future Clarkson's going to have with Utah considering his age and the place that they are right now. 
Amen feels mm-hmm. like the the upside guy with the fourth pick who could be their longtime energizer, um, pairing him with Larry Markin and their other young talent. Um, I mean, like also imagine, you know, running pick and roll against Amen Thompson and Walker Kessler protecting the paint. Like they could have a pretty formidable defense at the top and, you know, in the interior as well with what they could build out there. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, moving on to Detroit, um, Detroit brutal, brutal beat for them. If this if this plays out, oh my this way, goodness, dude, Cade missing the year. You really wanted to get up there as uh, you know in that top three, if possible. But um, I am going to go ahead. Just considering the personnel that they have right now, I don't know that I'm going to add another like ball dominant or like ball needy kind of player into that situation. But I really like the idea of Jarris Walker with Detroit here. Um, I think that he gives you a little bit more. He can play up or down in lineups. He can take tough assignments, as we've said, like big forwards that can guard big scoring forward playmaking players are very, very valuable. And I think this team could use that. I think next to Cade, he could be a, become a good catch and shoot player. I even think he could run some ball screen with Cade if you wanted to play a little smaller. I think he just gives you versatility. I, I think that he's he, he would fit great in Detroit uh, and, and really up their defensive integrity, especially next to Duran if Duran matures. I mean, this is, I mean, you get Detroit falling four spots, Houston falling four spots. I mean, like, this could happen on lottery night. This, this speaks to the whole theme we've been talking about all season, where you don't need to bottom out to move up with the way the draft lottery odds are. So I think for Detroit, what a bummer it would be, even though I love Jarris Walker. He's fifth on my board at the moment as well, and you have him going five here. I mean, but, like, missing out on some of those top guys like that. Like never mind for Detroit, but also like at least Detroit feels like they have I don't know Cade, they have Duran, yeah, feel like they have something more tangible than Houston at the moment. It doesn't seem like they're like hopelessly wandering. It's a yes. little, you know, I was like, it's it's there is something there. You have like some kind of like plan to go on. You have like a construct to go. Like okay, we'll go from here. Creates a map, but I think like Detroit. Um, I, I was going to say to you, man, that like when I was kind of like figuring out like what the way I wanted to approach this, honestly, dude, we talked about the tiers last week. I think w- when I got to four, I was like, damn, I was like, I was having <laughs> argu- broad arguments and sub arguments with it where I was yeah. just like, you do that thing where you put, you know, a name next to a number and you're just like, is he really a fifth pick? Is that kind of a fourth pick? Yeah. But I really think it kind of flattens there. Like you really could make legitimate arguments. And I also think we're reaching that time of the year where the nitpicky kind of like data has added up and piled up to where like that like kind of nagging ne- negativity, you know, where I where I step back and I look at this class and I'm like, man, I started the year so excited about like all the different pieces in this. And maybe the flatness through there is making me think like, is this class as good as I thought? Are you feeling any of that, Kev? I mean, I think it's a good role player class. Um, yeah. I, I think it's a good role player class with there, there will be, this is like a, no duh statement. It happens every year. There will be guys who pop and turn into something far more than expectations could have, you know, set for them. Like guys like Gigi Jackson might go late teens, early twenties, and maybe he turns into a star in five years. You know, guys like you know, I don't know, Sissoko. We talked about him last week out of the G League. Maybe he ends up popping as a pick in the twenties. Maybe Grady Dick, you know, becomes, you know, a, a average to above average defender and his offense keeps blossoming and he's a 24, 25 point per game guy who makes some all-star teams. Like I think you can project that for some guys in a best case unlikely scenario. But for the most part, I think, you know, 
right now for Houston with the sixth pick, I'm looking at Cam Whitmore, Keontae George, you know, Anthony Black, a lot of guys that I'm like, they'll be good players, but will they be stars? Eh. Yeah. I mean, it's unlikely. I mean, somebody will pop. It always happens. It happens every year. So with that said, I'll go with Cam Whitmore uh, with the selection. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I just feel like he's the guy at this point. You look at what the Rockets are. First of all, if the Rockets were to fall this far to six, I'd be doing two, one of two things, trying to trade up like mad with Orlando, with Utah. That's what I'm know, saying, one of those Orlando. Teams, or... I'd be saying I want to trade out and get a bunch of future picks to even further bolster my draft capital, you know, to a team that is like in love with Kim Whitmore, in love with Osar Thompson, whoever it is, right? Insert, you know, you know, player here. I'd be trying to trade out or trade up. And I don't, I wouldn't feel good about staying here. Like, what does Cam Whitmore do for you as the Rockets right now? Like, what is honestly, like, genuinely, like, what does he do for you right now when you are currently a mess? And you're trying to potentially yeah. sign James Harden this summer. Like he, there's no appeal in Cam Whitmore. Just the fact that the sentence that you just said made my brain hurt. That, well, they're a mess, Kevin, and yet you still drafted all their players in our in our in our draft at well, Salt Lake I, I mean, City. Look, so you must not think they're too much of a mess. I like their players individually. It's just yeah. the and like that that draft we did was for like five years from now, but. If I'm the GM of the team, if I'm Raphael Stone right now, am I going to be the GM in five years to see, you know, all these selections work out, whether it's on my team or they get traded somewhere else? Like that needs to, if you're the Rockets right now, enter the equation a little bit, considering, you know, all indications are they plan to be better next season. So I'll go with Cam Whitmore. He seems like the guy that most fits the profile of somebody who could help on defense, you know, offer some spot up shooting, downhill attacking. He's flashed upside as a scorer. Uh, let's go with Cam Whitmore at number six. But boy, oh boy, like if that this were to happen on lottery night, that's a they're a spot, they're a team that's going to be trying to trade up or out. I would think, you know, when I look at their situation. Yeah, if they trade out, I kind of wonder if the how how the grumbling. I, I've been just kind of monitoring from afar Rockets Twitter and just kind of observing the the ten, the tone of their conversations. And there's been just a little bit of infighting, a little bit of like, oh shit, maybe mm. we're not. You know, there's been a little. I've just noticed. I, I'm I keep an eye on you guys. I don't I don't get in there and box with you because I just don't feel like it. But it's uh, it's been fun to observe. Um, that order of like Case and Whitmore Asar, like I just think like how you value these wings and these forwards is just fascinating to discuss because I, I feel like that's one of the more interesting things to talk about in this draft. But if we're talking about the Charlotte Hornets who deserve a little Oof. bit of buzz, that Number was an inadvertent thing. Falling down them for... Ooh. Seven is tough. Seven is tough. But I'm looking to add, you know, defensive integrity on the wing. Uh, I might surprise you here, Kevin. Um, Hendricks? I thought... <laughs> <laughs> no, not Hendricks. Um, you're not going to see this coming, I don't think. But and I thought about whether or not to do this because you know I, I know I get shit for for uh, for who I root for. But I'm actually going to take Casey Wallace here. Oh. I actually think that he's going to give you some two way. He's going to be able to guard point guards. He's going to be able to hit open shots. He's shown some playmaking flashes in the last month since Kentucky's optimized their lineups and and helped him. I think in a spatial way. Um, I just think that uh, I think Kaysen, we have not seen the best of Kaysen, and I think he's a good fit for what they need. Um, uh, I'm going to I'm going to go with Kaysen Wallace there, but it was close. I, uh, there's there's more to talk about with that. But I, I think that's a quality pick. Uh, so with with Kaysen Wallace, I mean, you watch every Kentucky game, hardcore edge of your seat. 
crying when they lose. You know, your day's made <laughs> when they win. <laughs> Not since uh, 97. I haven't cried since I was 11, but I've been mad. I've been really mad. Oh, really, really mad. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> tell me about the development of Casey Wallace this year. Are you clearly, if you're drafting him here with the seventh pick, you feel some level of confidence in him and being a having a chance to blossom. I mean, where's the the mindset behind having Wallace seventh? He blossomed. He showed some playmaking pop, I thought, in EYBL last summer. And I think that, uh, or yeah, I'm losing track of my time here, but I think that like over the course of the year, I think there's a health thing that you need to watch out for. But it, we've talked about him as like a dribble pull-up shooter. My main thing too, man, is that like, A, I think he's smart. B, I think that he is kind of unflappable. Like he's a really hard worker from everything that I hear, even through the ups and downs of their kind of shitty year that they've had. He has been just consistent and kept coming back, kept coming back. I think that once he gets a little bit healthier, he's kind of had an up and down health season. I think he's going to be a really disruptive player. He's really strong. I think he's positionally going to be hard. Um, He's one of those guys that like you're going to have to drive through his chest. And I think he's strong. He's just going to be a pain. And I think he's somebody that's a player that, that Charlotte needs. I mean, you get the the two-way stuff that he's going to provide. I think he's just going to give, he's going to kind of bolster their personality, I think, on the perimeter uh, with with his defense. I like the pick. Uh, so now up eight, number eight, Indiana Pacers. I mean, this is a, a strange spot for them because you look at, you know, the top guys available on my board right now. You know, just throw them out there. Osar Thompson, Keontae George, Grady Dick, Taylor Hendricks, Anthony Black, Nick Smith, Jalen hood Shafino, Gigi Jackson, just go down the board even further. Like they have Tyrese Halliburton, you know he's their engine. They just took Benedict Matherin last year, and he looks like a very promising young guy. Andrew Nemhard, we've talked about him throughout the year on this podcast. Granted, he's more of like a high end backup, you know, good rotation starter. He's another smaller guard, so I don't think for them a Keontae George makes a ton of sense. I don't think Anthony Black or even Nick Smith makes a ton of sense, considering yeah. what they already have fit wise. Maybe if you're straight up just drafting best player available, you're going with them. Um, so I kind of come down between Osar Thompson and Grady Dick for the Pacers at this point. If it's Grady Dick, that probably means you're more willing to move a buddy healed. We see how well the dynamic is in the backcourt between Halliburton and Heald. I think if you're drafting Dick, it's going for a younger version of a guy in that player construct and somebody to build with in the next five to ten years, or is healed, he's 30 years old, he can become a free agent after next season in 2024. Maybe healed becomes an appealing trade chip um, for the Pacers if you go with Crady Dick rather than Osar Thompson. With that said, though, Osar Thompson has a higher defensive ceiling, and it's going to be important to add that to your rotation next to, next to Halliburton, next to Matherin, and build out that wing position. So, I am going to go with Osar Thompson here for the Pacers with the eighth pick. Um, you hope that he continues shooting, you know, 35% plus from three, and he's at least a threat out there, and he can move the ball. He's excelled for years next to his brother playing as like a secondary guy. I think he'd be a natural fit next to Halliburton as long as, you know, that shooting, as we talked about earlier, develops. But I'll, I'll go with uh, Osar Thompson. I think I brought this up earlier in the year that I actually think I remember joking with you about the idea of one of the Thompson brothers out there with Halliburton as like a guy who gives you you take pressure off of his playmaking. He can like we know that the ball moves when Halliburton's out there and then you put this super athlete in this position oh, to so play fun. off the catch and get in the lane. I th that idea you just you've created this this kind of loop. I always think about uh 
I just always think about these. You want to create these like closed loops of flow. And I feel like that that is a very tantalizing uh, idea, I think, if you are the Pacers. So next up is New Orleans. Uh, oh, let's see. They're tanking. Based on the, They're tanking hard, yeah. Kyle. Woo. <laughs> oh, boy. What a plummet, man. Oh, Good grief. Woo, Considering woo. where we were earlier in the year, like uh, we were just raving about them. I think they were kind of the, the hot new energy kind of a thing. It was exciting. Um, Zion the was question healthy. here is <laughs> That's basically what it comes down healthy. to. It's like it's a deflating thing. Um, yeah, for them to fall to this spot, you kind of think, okay, are they going to take another perimeter guy? Are they going to take a big? Are they going to take another ball handler? I think they have enough, like, I think they have the ball handling kind of covered. But also, you're like, okay, uh, do you want to just take the best player available? I'm usually in favor of best player available. Your confidence level in, like, what's that? Who is it? Oh, like, man. Is, like, this, is there a clear well, best player available? No, I'm not sure. You know, like, yeah. I know you're going to tease me about, like, Nick Smith and how much I love him, but I just uh, don't yeah, know about cool. Nick Smith going into that environment, you know? And I don't know that he's so good that you're just like, okay, we'll take him regardless. I don't know that he's that level of talent. Uh, I'm going to surprise you here, and I'm probably, I keep saying that, but probably not. Uh, I'm going to take Jed Howard here, actually. Ooh. I think Jed Howard's, like, shot-making upside. I think he gives you, like, some insurance for the future should, like, you have some. I think he has potential as a, you know, he's, in his freshman year, still at Michigan, he showed a lot of efficiency, at, like shooting the ball off the bounce. He's shown some playmaking upside. He's somebody that you can just kind of put in there and be insurance that does have star upside. I do, I do think that he shows some of that stuff. And he's got great size, like we've talked about. I'm going to take Nick Smith for the Pelicans there. All right, last pick here, number 10, the Wizards. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm saying to Bradley Beal, hey, Houston's offering four first-round draft picks for you. <laughs> you want to go there and play with Harden? <laughs> oh, my God. You want to go to Houston? <laughs> First of all, I'm, I'm saying that uh, <laughs> to Bradley Beal. They should, I think they should be rebuilding. But with the 10th pick, you know, this year for them, I mean, Keontae George, if you're keeping Bradley Beal, it's Keontae George, Bradley Beal, the way you want to build it out. Is Nick Smith, Bradley Beal, the way you want to build? Uh, it's great. Is this Dick. what this was all for? Is this what this was all for? That's what no, I'm saying. No, no. I'm a Houston I'm just, I'm fan. Just... I'm like, is this where we went? I like. Sh- I, I feel good about Shingun being there. You know, I love Tari. I, I like. I, I did. There are some pieces oh, no, here no, that no. I'm confident I, I, about. No, I'm, I'm just not like, talking Houston. I'm talking Washington strictly. If you know, if uh, I know. I'm just saying, like, let's say Houston makes those moves and that's where they end up. So then yeah. you like Beal, Harden, Green. How do I feel if I'm Jalen Green? I'm like Jalen Green. I'm like, I okay, mean, well, I was on this pass to be a star. You don't feel great. You don't feel great. I mean. You're, you're too tiny. You're too small. That would be something out of desperation. And maybe you're flipping Jalen yeah. Green if you're Houston in that scenario. If you really are pressured by Fertitta to to win now or lose your job, I don't know. We'll see how that pans out for Houston. I'm just spitballing on that side of things. Sure, sure, and maybe, sure. And maybe it's too. not even harder. Maybe they just trade for Beal. But that's also a weird Beal-Green on the Houston side of things. That doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't. I can't imagine they do that. For the Wizards here, if they're keeping Beal, if he's staying there, I feel like Anthony Black makes most sense fit wise at this point next to Bradley Beal. You know, six foot seven, size, can defend, moves the ball. That feels like a good backcourt fit right there. If you're Washington, I don't think there's a clear cut, you know. I mean, Keontae George is the highest guy remaining on my board. I think if you're s- selecting him, the fit with Beal is very poor. 
Um, but he'd be the guy I'd select if my intentions are to move Beal. Um, but I'll go with Anthony Black for the purposes of this mock draft with our 10th and final pick of this uh, little fun mock draft. This would be wild if this actually ended up being the order. Spurs oh my God. one, Bulls two, Magic three, Jazz four with Pistons, Rockets, and Hornets all moving down. Damn. Yeah, I, I, I would be curious to ask Popovich. I'm not like a wine guy. Maybe we could consult Bill because he knows about wine. But like, uh, I would, I, if I got a chance to ask Pop a question, I'd be like, let's say Wimbenyama, you end up with him on draft night. Which bottle are you opening? Are you opening yeah, right. your best bottle that night? Like, are you going to go into it? Because I know Pop is a wine guy. I'm just like, are you, are you cracking open one? Uh, your oldest bottle. I just think that would be uh, Twitter would melt down if this would happen. There would just be so much um, heartbreak. I just think I think it, it would be a really tough gut punch for some of these teams that have been wandering and and really really need something to go their way this year. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's I'm getting excited thinking about it though. Well, Kyle, we'll be back again next week. You're doing OSP again next week as well. That's the plan, and I'm going to be out there. And the answer. Uh, think so yeah pretty positive uh yeah like i said it's been a little chaotic this week i didn't do mm. the answer this week pina filled in for me just because uh i have well we have bounced from hotel to airbnb to friend's house uh I, we moved four times in five days with a dog and a toddler so i've just kind of been i'm from someplace with stable internet for now <laughs> we got the job done so yeah weather problems the power's back on yeah, the wind blew down like this super old tree in our neighborhood, like 80 feet from our house. And like I told you, it looked like that. It looked like but the boxer Butterbean leaning on like the ropes of like a like a boxing ring. Like so our power's been out and hopefully they're going to fix that. But yeah, I'll be back in the, the OSP thing and I'm going to be out in L.A. to watch the first um, the first weekend of the tournament with Tate. And I'm sure I'll see you and I'm sure we'll talk and I'm sure some content will come out of that. And man, I'm very excited about that. We'll have to hang out in L.A. I look forward to that, Kyle. Hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. Thank you to Jesse Lopez for producing as always. Hope you have a good rest of your week.